When the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They answered, If you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, What guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, Five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did when Israel's God dealt harshly with them? Did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, that it happened to us by chance. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart along with the chest containing the gold rats and models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way, they did not turn to the right or the, to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects, and placed them on a large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one each for Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers the fortified towns with their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came up and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. 
and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, and can I add my excitement about uh, coming back together next week in person? I am very much looking forward to being face-to-face. It's a bit of a disappointment for the Gladswood Hills folk uh, that we can't go back to the school just yet, but we're praying uh, that we can soon. I'm wondering if it isn't a blessing in disguise with a little bit less pack up to do, set up and pack up to do uh, from day one. So we'll be in the hub next Sunday morning, uh, which is going to be great. And I hope I can see you then, which will be good. I'm going to pray and then we'll dive into this next uh, section of Samuel, which is a happy section uh, of Samuel. Uh, Israel uh, having a, a, one of the better moments in their history here in uh, chapter six and seven. So. Let's pray and uh, ask God how he wants us to understand his word and apply it to our lives. Please join me. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word, that it's true, that it's good, it's just, it's helpful, it's useful uh, for correcting us and rebuking us and teaching us how to live for you. Help us to understand this part of your word from the Old Testament and help us to know by your Holy Spirit how to apply it to our lives so that we might glorify you and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit all the more in how we think and how we speak and how we act. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Well, if you're watching at home, well done. It's the last one, so it's pretty tempting to wag this morning and just go down the shops for a bag of chips and a Coke, I imagine. Uh, but if you didn't, uh, well done. You're here and that's great and you're in for a treat. This is a wonderful part. Uh, of God's Word, and anyone who isn't watching this morning should totally have FOMO, because it's really good. Um, I'm really excited about the recommencement of church. What a horrendous two years it's been uh, for our nation and indeed for our world. 
what a long four months or so it's been uh, for us all in yet another lockdown. And I particularly feel uh, for the school kids uh, who have been having to homeschool from home. That's just been hard and in many ways lonely um, process for them. Uh, we've learned afresh in this global pandemic, as the Israelites are in 1 Samuel, who is in control of the world, haven't we? God is in control of all things. God alone is powerful, uh, not us. A global pandemic that has caused us to doubt our economy, doubt our healthcare system, doubt our governmental leadership, has also served to remind us and to have a fresh understanding of everything in life. This global pandemic has caused us to see the world clearly once again from God's perspective and be reminded uh, that he is in control. I've got some uh, pictures. Yep, there we go. You may remember that during the world lockdown in the middle of last year, when the whole world went into lockdown, the air quickly became very clear. Uh, the picture on the left, top and bottom, is Venice. In the middle is New Delhi. And on the right, you can see the Italian Alps behind Milan. And look how clear the air was during the lockdown of the world lockdown last year. You can see the smog before and the clear air after the lockdown. Friends, as we come out of this lockdown this, uh, and church starts back up and busyness starts back up, maybe it already has for you, it has for me and our family, what lessons are we going to take with us out of the lockdown back into normal life? What has the pandemic taught us that we do not want to forget? Well, the Israelites found themselves at the hands of a great enemy. In 1 Samuel 4, they found themselves at the hands of the Philistines, didn't they? It wasn't a global health pandemic. It was a different enemy. It was the Philistines. Despite the fact they had God in their midst, their shonky leaders, Eli and his two sons, did not humble themselves before the Lord, and the Israelites were hopelessly defeated. They looked to the wrong leader. And one of the greatest tragedies in biblical history occurred. The Ark of the Covenant was captured for the first time ever. The Israelites had faced many challenges over the years, but never before had the Ark been captured. This was a disaster. It was carried off into hostile territory. This was cause for great despondency amongst Israel. The ark had been captured. And this morning we want to find out what happened next and what did Israel, what did Israel learn from their experience? How did they respond? And I'm of the opinion that it directly informs our situation, but I'll let you be the judge. Um, but first we want to see what happens in the Philistine camp to the capturing, this great victory that they've celebrated in the capturing of the ark. And the first point today is called defying God's power. It certainly seemed the Philistines had defied the God of Israel, didn't it? They defeated God's people, they captured the ark, the symbol of God's presence. In essence, they felt they had captured the Israelite God and domesticated him in their town. They were pretty pumped, pretty, feeling pretty good about themselves. In 1 Samuel 6, 1, we learn the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the most monumental tra tragedy in Israel since the enslavement in Egypt. The Ark represents the covenant, the promise that God would dwell with his people forever and protect them. The first words engraved on the Ark are Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Well... 
Not anymore. God didn't seem to be dwelling with his people anymore. God seemed to be captured. What were Israel going to do now? Well, we'll get to that in a moment, but let's look at the Philistines. The Philistines have defied the Lord of hosts. They've defied the creator of the universe. They've defeated his people and conquered his ark. What happens next? The answer was terror, wasn't it? The Philistines were thrown into a panic. They were afflicted with tumors. Tumors, it seems, a rat plague to boot as well. Country Australians know what a mouse plague's like. They had a rat plague. The Philistines had major problems, didn't they? Because they defied God's power. They were learning firsthand what happens when you try to defy God and subdue his power. And their own leader's answer was, oh, just move it to another town and maybe they'll have a better fate. But every time they moved the ark to another town, they suffered the same fate. Every town the ark was moved to suffered calamity from the Lord. They couldn't consult their own God for answers either. He was faced down in the temple with his arms and heads, head broken off. So he wasn't much use to them. So verse 2, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you'll be healed and you'll know why his hand has not been lifted from you. Now, understandably, the Philistines ask, what should they pay? What offering should they make? But I mean... How do you repay a debt you cannot assess to a God you do not know? How do you repay a debt you cannot assess to a God you do not know? Friends, this is exactly what religion attempts to do. Religion attempts to pay back the debt of sin against God by human works of sacrifice or obedience. We think we can domesticate God, we can handle God, we can work out what exactly it is God wants from us and just do that. We can cut God down to a manageable size for us to work with. It's foolishness, as you will soon see. We're meant to giggle, really, as we read the advice given to the Philistines by their diviners. From verse 4, if you want to have a look, they're told to make models of tumours and rats. Five gold tumors and five gold rat models to give as a gift to the God of Israel. Now, picture this. Who was the lucky, unlucky contender who got to come to the blacksmith or the craftsman, the gold craftsman, and model their tumor for him as he kind of went, oh, could you just turn a bit, just point to the light a little bit as I, yeah, that's good, just hold still as I fashion a tumor to give as a gift. I mean, we're supposed to see that this is ridiculous. The Philistines are desperate, they're foolish, they're hoping these gold tumors and gold rats are going to give glory to Israel's God. They're clearly desperate for mercy. Well, a cart is prepared for the gifts and for the ark, and two <coughs> young female cows who've never been yoked, who have, who have calves who need feeding, these two cows are yoked together and sent on their way to Beth Shemesh. Look at verse 8, the end of it with me. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we'll know. It was not his hand that struck us, but it just happened to us by chance. 
There is no way on God's green earth that the two cows should walk in a straight line all the way. And the Philistines know that. The cows have never been yoked together. They've never done this before. They've got their calves to look after. By all measure, they should turn, they should resist, they should want to get back to their calves and keep looking after them. Now, I'm not sure what's going on here for the Philistines exactly. Either they're trying to kind of outwit God and say, oh, oh look, see, they turned. It wasn't God who was against us. Or they're genuinely testing God to see if he is true and if he is powerful. If, you know, if an extraordinary, unlikely event, these cows manage to walk in a straight line, we'll know that God is real and against us. The truth is they're desperate, as is anyone who defies our God and then finds his hand rightly and justly heavy upon them, as the Philistines now do. Well, astonishingly, the cows make a beeline for Beth Shemeth. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, straight down the line. Much the delight and joy of the Israelites who see the ark coming. And we kind of, the story shifts now uh, back to Israel from Philistine territory. Friends, we're supposed to be reminded of the Exodus story here. It's only, this is the greatest calamity since the Exodus when Israel were captured by God's enemies. Instead of God's, enemy, instead of God's people here being trapped in enemy territory, it's the ark of the covenant uh, that is trapped. The defiance of God, the plagues and judgment, the sending of the ark when the judgment is too much to bear by Israel's enemies, the gifts of gold, the desire for God's glory, the power of God on display as the cows walk a perfectly straight line. Only God's power could make them do that. We're supposed to be reminded of the Exodus. This is God rescuing his people once again. This is God dwelling amongst his people once again. And what is the reward for these faithful cows who walked in a straight line? Well, they become rump steaks at a barbecue, don't they? They get chopped up and burned on the cart, which is used for firewood. Despair turns to delight for the Israelites, as after a long seven months with the ark captured in Philistine territory, it's returned. The Israelites were no doubt despondent as they worked away in the fields, but then looked up and saw this bizarre sight, the ark coming along on a cart led by a couple of cows with gold tumours and rats on the back as a gift beside the ark. Bizarre, but wonderful that the ark had returned. And they got straight to sacrificing and celebrating uh, this return of the Ark of the Covenant and glorifying God. It's a joyful day once again in Israel. It'd be really nice if the story of chapter 6 kind of ended there, uh, but it doesn't, sadly. Now remember the problem that we have, we all have, which is God's power. We can't ignore it. We can't just walk away from God and his power. We need to rightly deal with God's power. In chapter 4, the Israelites just presumed upon the power of God. Oh, we've got the ark here, we'll be right. Well, they were wrong. The Philistines came and conquered them and took away the ark. They were defeated. The Philistines thought they could defy the power of God. They could wield the power of God. We'll capture the ark and we'll shove it in our temple and, you know, we'll domesticate God. We'll have him captive. Well, they were wrong. The power of God remains ultimately and infinitely powerful. And here we see, even 
as it's returned home, even on this wonderful day of celebration, still some of the Israelites do not treat the power of God appropriately. And sadly, they look into the ark, 70 men, and they're struck down dead in verse 19 for looking into the ark of the Lord. If it seems harsh, well, again, that's our desperate attempt to domesticate the one who created the universe by speaking a mighty word. We can't domesticate God. We can't handle God. We can't defy God. We can't judge him as being wrong in the way he deals with people, in the way he works, in the way he acts in the world. He is God. He is powerful. We're meant to learn that here, friends, from chapter 6 and 7. This is the almighty God of the universe that we're dealing with. He is powerful. He is holy alone. He is just and right in all his ways. Those men deserved to die, obviously, because they did. If God deemed that they did something that should cause death and the judgment was death, well, it's just and it's good and it's right. Because God is great and God is holy and God is majestic. And if he ordains it to be so, then it is so. We find ourselves in a similar predicament to the Philistines. In our sin, we have best presumed upon the Lord, at worst defied the Lord, and his hand of judgment is against those who have sinned. And there is nothing we can do about it. Under the yoke of sin, we are desperate and hopeless. We need Jesus. We need God to act, to intervene. All we can do as sinners before a holy God is throw ourselves at his feet and humbly beg for his mercy. Praise be to God that in his incredible mercy, he reopened the way into right relationship with his majesty through the sacrificial and atoning death of Jesus. God promised long ago that he longs to dwell with his people, and that promise stands. And it's the blood of Christ that opens that way to relationship back up. All we can do is humble ourselves before an almighty God. That's all we've got. Humble ourselves before Jesus, in whom is our only hope. And it's humility before the Lord that the Israelites finally learn, it seems, albeit very briefly, unfortunately, in chapter 7. Thank goodness. They finally submit themselves to God, which is my second point, submitting to God's power. Now, before we dive in and see the Israelites' wonderful, albeit short-lived, response to God, are there any characters you can think of who've been notably absent in the past two chapters? Anyone? Anyone notably absent you can think of? Samuel, perhaps? <laughs> Where'd he go? The book's named after this guy. He's vanished. And I think we're to be reminded and learn that the true leader of Israel is God. God does work through human leaders time and time again in the Bible and in our world. He doesn't need them. It was God whose hand was heavy on the Philistines. It was God who returned the ark back to Israel using these cows. The subtitle for a whole series is looking for a leader. And I said at the start, there's four significant leaders uh, as we look through 1 Samuel. The most significant leader in 1 Samuel is God. 
Israel and us need look no further than to our wise and loving God for a leader and for the best leader. So let me remind you of the wonderful news uh, from chapter 7. Israel is having a great day. Uh, Starting at verse 2. Then all of the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Hooray! So Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, if it's true, if you really are, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord. Serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and they before sorry, on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We've sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they girded up their loins and they grabbed their swords. No, they didn't. They were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Aha, wise move. Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him, and the Lord thundered against the Philistines and defeated them. Here we have the gospel according to Samuel. Got a pen and paper, a phone handy? The gospel according to Samuel. Number one, return to the Lord. Heartfully, wholeheartedly, willing to change, willing to put away, that means get rid of, not kind of shove it on the shelf, maybe use it later, get rid of idols. Samuel's been waiting 20 long years for this moment of repentance from Israel, and now the day had arrived. Return to the Lord wholeheartedly. Number two, put away idols. They've been worshipping Canaanite gods for the past 20 years. Samuel says, no, put that away. Focus on the one true God alone. Number three, orientate your heart towards the Lord and serve him only. Return to the Lord, put away idols, serve the Lord alone exclusive, single-minded commitment to the one true God and nothing less. And fourthly and finally, remember God's promise that if you do these things, you'll be delivered out of the hand of your enemies. God is powerful and can deliver them and us from the hands of our enemies. It's the promise made in the covenant, kept in the ark, that God would dwell among his people and God would Protect them if they would just humble themselves before him. And Israel responded, praise God. It was a great day, wasn't it? They put away their idols, they served the Lord alone. It's this wonderful moment in Israel's history. It's so short-lived, it's sad. But there it is, this wonderful moment, as they humbled themselves before the Lord and saw victory as God conquered their enemies. They didn't presume upon the power of God this time. They didn't try and wield God this time. They humbled themselves before God and prayed, and asked Samuel to go in and pray that God might protect them. And of course God did as he promised to do. So thirdly, God's power is also at work in us 
Friends, that same almighty God who was at work in Samuel's day thundered against sin and death and the devil at the cross. He made a way for us to return to him through humble repentance and faith. And I'm going to read from Romans 8, this famous passage, starting at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Israel had Samuel. We have Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, let me conclude with three things. I want to say three things. Firstly, don't defy God. It is futile and foolish to try to defy God. To think that we can know better than him. To read the Bible and say, he killed so many people, that's not right. God is good. God alone is just. He is right and true. He is powerful. We are not. He knows what is right. He knows what is best. We can't earn our way into forgiveness. We can't trick God into forgiving us. His way is the only way to find peace with him. And his way is humble repentance and faith in Christ. There may be many, many things about God or decisions God has made that we don't understand. We don't understand why they're right or good. Oh, well, we're little us, and he's a mighty God. Please don't stand against the God of all creation, friends. Humble yourselves before him. He's a God who judges, but he judges out of love, and that much is abundantly clear at the cross. Secondly, don't look to humanity for the solution to sin. I think we've learned that through the, through the global pandemic, that we need God. God is in control of all things. We have some wonderful blessings in our world. Our health system is great. Our premiers are pretty good. But we need God, ultimately. God alone has the answers to this life. He's got a plan in this global pandemic. I don't understand what it is exactly, but I know there is one. He has a plan for us all as we emerge from this lockdown, which we're all excited about. But I know, I know for a fact his plan is not that we forget him and just get on with our busy lives. What have we learned from this lockdown? What have we learned from this pandemic? We've learned, we've been reminded afresh, God is mighty. God is powerful. As we get busy again, as the speed of life picks up again, the temptation is going to be self-reliance. It's going to believe our government's finally got the solution to all our woes. Dominic's here where he'll save us. No, he won't. He's got seven kids to look after. He's flat out. Our hero, our saviour is Jesus. Remember him. Keep remembering him, friends. 
as we come out of this lockdown and go back into, into busy life, he alone can save us. He alone can save those we love and those in our community who at the moment have the heavy hand of God rightly upon them and need forgiveness through Christ. These past two years have reminded us that God has the power and we really don't. So we must simply humble ourselves before him, not defy him, not try to handle him or wield him or presume upon him, humble ourselves before him. So thirdly and finally, rush to humility and rush to prayer as the Israelites finally did in chapter 7. This time as their enemy came up the mountain, our enemy is sin, our enemy is Satan, who's constantly advancing. As their enemy came up the mountain, they rushed to Samuel. Pray for us, Samuel. Intercede. Who do we rush to? Who's our intercessor? It's Jesus. Rush to him. Pray to him, Jesus. Intercede for us. Help us to live a, glory, a life that glorifies you and glorifies our Father. Help us to put sin to death. Please save our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. Rush to humility and prayer as you rush to Jesus. In the busyness of everything that's about to start happening, as we climb out of lockdown, rush to Christ. Rush to humility and prayer. Humble yourselves before him. Humble yourself before one another in your church as we come back together and love one another, care for one another. May our first instinct be when things get hard to pray. May our first instinct be when things are great to thank God in prayer. Each and every day, let's emerge from this pandemic as Christians who pray more than we did before the pandemic because we've been reminded that we must by the pandemic. Friends, don't defy God. Rush to him in humility and prayer. Humbly listen to his word. Humble yourself before him and he will be your rock and shield. He is our great saviour and Lord. Thanks be to God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.